Welcome everybody to the house of God today. Today is also Communion Sunday, so as you walked into the sanctuary today, if you didn't uh, get your, your package of communion emblems, the, the cracker and the cup here, uh, you can just let somebody in the back know Hendrick is there, Boris and Clemens are there. If you didn't get one of these today, then please make sure you have one. When we do take communion later, communion, communion is always for the body of Christ. It is for believers. And so if you're here, even visiting with us today, but you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we welcome you to partake communion uh, with us after the sermon time today. Amen. So please make sure you have one of those with you. And as we are getting ready to look to God's Word, let me also just say um, some things that we prayed for last week. Uh, we prayed for Sister Lena, uh, who was able to go home from the hospital, uh, recover from her sick. In fact, I see her right now. God bless you. It's good to have you in church today. Uh, but thank you, God, for touching and, and, and uh, strengthening Lena, that she can be with us here today. And also that young baby, Fayo, that we prayed for, who was in the hospital with uh, pneumonia-like symptoms. She's also gone home. She has recovered, and she's back uh, in, in the home where, she, uh, where she's from as well. So we praise God for taking care of those that we have prayed for. And I just want to let you all know that we do believe in prayer. And so if there's ever a time that you need prayer, something going on in your life, and you want us to remember you in prayer, just let us know. If you need the prayer request to remain private, just let us know. But please let us know if you need prayer in your life, in your family, in spiritual things, in mental things, whatever it might be. We believe that God hears us when we pray, and God answers prayer. So we want to be, as Jesus calls us, a house of prayer. Amen. Well, let's get back into Romans. And today we're going to look at chapter 10. This is the, the third sermon now from this series within a series of the book of Romans because we've focused on chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. And what I've tried to do over these last few weeks of looking at these three chapters, even though we're not literally reading through every verse of these three chapters, I have tried to at least communicate the whole message of chapter 9, 10, and 11. And so I hope that you do find that as you go home and you, you continue to read through this great book and as you have your devotions around it, as you meet in small groups about it, uh, I do hope that you find that to be true. Today we are going over the third sermon of this section. The first time we went into Romans 9, 10, and 11, we talked about Paul's heart concerning the lost. The second time we went there, we saw something about the potter's hands, and we learned a lot about God and our relationship with Him. We learned about God's infinite wisdom and His patience and His mercy and also His judgments and wrath. And today we're going to conclude from these three chapters speaking about the preacher's hope. All right, so it was Paul's heart, the potter's hands, today the preacher's hope. So if you'll turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10, we'll pick up at verse 13 and read down to verse 15. All right, please stand with me when you find that in your own Bibles. As always, I'm reading from the New King James Version, Romans 10, beginning at verse 13, this wonderful promise, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? 
Verse 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how then shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. The preacher's hope. You may be seated. As you know, as we have already mentioned, chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul concentrates a whole lot on the nation of Israel. But he also concentrates on the condition of the world and the need not just for Israel, but the need for all the world to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. This gospel is not meant for the Jewish people alone. This gospel is meant for every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. And today we're talking about the preacher's hope and all of that. Let's begin with this. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, let me turn on my clicker so I can change the slide there. He says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you notice in your Bible, or even as I've written it here on the screen for you, you notice those words are, uh, there's quotations around them. And they are italicized in most of your Bibles. Why is that? Because Paul is quoting something from the Old Testament. This isn't a New Testament teaching for those people to call upon the Lord to be saved. This comes from the Old Testament. And so Paul is drawing from something that comes from long ago, written by someone in the Old Testament, and applying it today. Well, who wrote those words? It was a prophet named Joel. Now, Joel, it is believed, of all the prophets that wrote, whether you're talking about Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Micah, Nahum, all those prophets of the Old Testament who actually wrote their messages, it is believed that Joel may be the oldest written, that he was the first written. Now, he doesn't come up first in the list of prophets in the Old Testament. He comes right after Hosea, but there are many that believe he was the first prophet to write down the message of God. That he was from the days of Elijah and Elisha, which puts him much, much earlier than most of the other writing prophets of the Old Testament. And if you read the book of Joel in the Old Testament, it's only a few chapters long. It'll only take you a few minutes to get through it all. But if there's one theme Joel talks about, one phrase he mentions over and over, it's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Five times he mentions that phrase, the day of the Lord. And what is it that he's talking about? Well, he describes what that day is like. And in describing that day of the Lord, he describes it with words like darkness, blood, thick cloud, gloominess, fire. He describes it as a day where the people will sound the trumpet and sound the alarm. It's a day of great trouble. It's a terrible day. The day of the Lord. And when you come to Joel chapter 3, Joel speaks of two phases of time and two great things that will happen during these two phases. He begins by repeating once again, the day of the Lord is coming. It is at hand. It's a day of trouble. 
It's a day of, we can say, wrath and judgment among the nations. And when He speaks of that day that is still yet to come, He also speaks of another day where He says, and God will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And so between that time, God pouring out His Spirit upon the world, and that day called the day of the Lord, in the midst of it, Joel says, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know what Joel is talking about? At least what I believe he's talking about. The day of the Lord in the New Testament, the New Testament writers use those terms to talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. They use those terms to talk about the tribulation that is coming upon the world, a time of darkness and gloom and wrath. And as Joel says, a time when the sun's light and the moon's light will be put out. It will be a time of terror in the world. And the culmination of it all is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That tribulation time and that second coming of Jesus Christ, that is the time of the day of the Lord. And what about the day of the Spirit being poured upon all flesh? What's he talking about there? Well, you find out when you read the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 2, as Jesus promised, He poured out His Spirit upon the believers that were waiting there in Jerusalem. And when the Spirit came upon them, they began to speak in other tongues. And it grabbed the attention of all the people. What is this? Are these people drunk? Are they out of their mind? How is this happening? What's going on? Peter stood up and announced to all the people, this is what Joel was talking about when he said that God will pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And then he also talked about that day of great tribulation, the day of the Lord. And so I believe when you read these things, I believe that when Joel prophesied there's a day coming when God will begin to pour out His Spirit, that began on the day of Pentecost. And it continues today. God pours out His Spirit upon us. Amen? And God will continue to pour out His Spirit upon us until that day comes, the day of the Lord. In the meantime, as Joel prophesied, as Peter said, as Paul now says, in the meantime, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Saved from their sin. Saved from wrath. Saved from that day of judgment. Whoever calls on His name will be saved. And that's why Paul is now including these words in his teaching. It's almost as though when you get to chapter 10 and chapter 11, Paul really begins to just imagine all what a day it would be for Israel. The ones who rejected Christ. The ones who have grown hard toward the message of the Gospel. Can you imagine that day when they will call on the name of the Lord? In fact, he says, in chapter 11, that through their rejection, the Gospel has been opened to bless all the nations of the world. And so Paul kind of says the message, if their rejection led to the blessing of the Gospel going out into the world, imagine what will happen when they actually believe and receive. According to Paul, it's going to be life from the dead. It's going to be as wonderful and as powerful as resurrection power. 
And we believe that the day is still coming. In that time we call the day of the Lord, that Israel, the nation, will call upon His name and be saved. That day is coming. Paul knew that. And right now, Paul is just sort of imagining, can you imagine what that will be like? Now, if we take a step, step back for a moment, I think we all do what Paul may be doing right now. When we think about our family members, our parents who have yet to believe in Christ, or our brothers and sisters, our cousins, people that we love in life who don't believe, if you're like me, every once in a while when I'm praying for those individuals, I sort of think to myself, oh Lord, can you imagine? I know that today they reject you. I know that today they think the gospel is foolishness. Oh, but can you imagine? Oh Lord, if they would one day just call upon your name. I allow myself to imagine those things. Do you? For the people that you pray for, do you actually let yourself imagine that day where they will? call upon His name to be saved, oh, let that happen in your mind. And it will create such excitement in your heart. Paul shows us the end. People calling upon the name of the Lord. That's where we're trying to go. That's what we want, not just for our family members, but for our city of Samarang. I want to see people call on Jesus' name and then to know that they will be saved if they do that. And we're right there with Paul. Yes, Paul, that's what we want too. So now Paul sets that before you. You can imagine it for your family. Imagine it for our city. And now Paul sort of says, okay, now in order to get to that place right there, what do we need to do? And so Paul, in these few verses, he takes a step back. And he says, okay, if people are to call upon the name of the Lord, what must happen first? And once we discover that, let's take another step back. What must happen before that? And I think the way Paul does that, he could have just listed out the steps of reaching people for the Lord. Very simply, just, just lay it out normally. Instead, he goes backwards, asking questions each time, and I think the way that he does it, it causes us, if you read it carefully, to really think about each step and to really meditate on it. What does it mean? What does it look like? And God, how can I do my part in order to make these steps happen? And so let's look at these verses and let's look at the importance. How do we see people call on the name of the Lord? Paul's going to talk about believing, about hearing, about preaching, and about being sent. So let's begin with believing. Believing. Look again. Verse 14 now. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? In other words, if people are to call upon the name of Jesus... What must happen before that? They must believe in Him. Without believing in Him, they're not going to call upon Him. Before they call, they must believe. And do you know that there is a strong connection between what we believe in our hearts and then what we say with our mouths? Do you know you can tell a lot about someone 
just by listening to them talk? And isn't that what Jesus also taught us? From out of the abundance of the heart, whatever's going on in here, from out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you believe, whatever convicts you in life, whatever your, your principles and your values lie in your heart, the way you talk will represent what's inside. If you're a negative talker, if you're a gossiper, where do you think that comes from? A heart filled with gossip and bitterness. If you speak good things, encouraging things, oh, then that comes from a place of good things in the heart. Whatever's in your heart, it comes out from your mouth. And so, in that way, Paul has already told us, as we read a couple of weeks ago, that a person will believe in their heart and then they will confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. What is it that they believe? Well, Paul says earlier in this chapter, right before these verses, he says, with the heart we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Do you believe that? Now, now of course, that's not all we believe about Jesus, but that is the great thing to believe. You know why? If you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, then you must also believe that that very resurrection shows us that we can trust in what Jesus actually said about himself. In other words, if Jesus lied about himself, God would not raise him from the dead. It solidifies everything Jesus said and everything that he did. It also shows us he has power over death and the grave. It shows us that his cross, his sacrifice was accepted and it satisfied the wrath of God. That's why Jesus rose from the dead. Believing in the resurrection of Jesus, it also assumes that you believe in all those other things. That what he says is true. I just heard, unbelievable, I just heard a very well-known pastor in America just make the comment to his huge mega church that yes, Jesus said, just because you're good, that doesn't get you to heaven. He's sort of paraphrasing what Jesus said. And then he said this to his church, but that's what Jesus thought. I mean, that's what Jesus believed. doesn't make it true. I thought, what are you talking about? You think Jesus said something that was actually not true? You then do not have a Savior, Pastor. Your church doesn't know a Savior. And how can there be a resurrection if Jesus spoke falsely to the people? God would not raise him from, from the dead. These things are so important for us to believe about him. And it's all wrapped up into this one truth. He was raised from the dead. And he lives forevermore, saving all those who will come to God through him. Amen? If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then confession is made with your mouth, what do you confess? The Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Now some people might say, well, how about I just believe it and not say it? Is that possible? Can I just do that? Can I just hold it like a hidden treasure in my heart, believe it without saying anything? Honestly, I don't know how you can do that. I don't know how any Christian can hold back what Jesus has done in your life. Now just by speaking and, and saying those things, 
Yeah, it doesn't, that's not where salvation lies. It does begin with believing in the heart. But my goodness, if you have understood who He is and what He's done and what He can do for your family, how can you keep silent? Now in this world today, the world wants you to keep silent. They want you to shut up about the gospel and about the things of God, about the truth of Jesus Christ. But Christian, how can you stay silent? If you believe in your heart, there's no other way but to allow that to overflow and speak those truths from your own mouth. Consider for a moment the Christians who were living in Rome, the ones Paul was writing to. These people were living under the tyranny of Caesar. And not just this one Caesar, but many coming after him and some before him. They were tyrannical. They were dictators. They were brutal. And they also believed that they could be like sons of God. And the one thing they wanted their citizens to confess was that Caesar was Lord. Now, if you didn't confess that with your mouth, you could lose everything, including your own life. And so people would come, offer a sacrifice or offer an, an offering for the name of Caesar and declare, Caesar is Lord. But then the Christian comes, gives no sacrifice, gives no offering, and says because he believes it or she believes it with all their heart, Jesus is Lord. That was happening in Rome. And because of it, many were crucified. Many were thrown into the coliseums of gladiators and wild animals. Many were beheaded. Many were imprisoned. Many lost all their belongings. But how could they stay silent? If our brothers and sisters could not stay silent in that brutal time of persecution, how can we stay silent today? Amen? For those who believe, Paul's getting to this, if you believe, oh, you will call upon the name of the Lord. Those who believe in Jesus, the Son of God, that He's the Savior of the world, the One who came to die for our sins, through whom we have peace with God and the forgiveness of those sins, for those who believe He is our help in the time of need and trouble, for those who believe that He looks upon us today with eyes full of mercy and love and compassion, for those who believe He is risen from the dead and He is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory, they shall call upon His name. Amen? Oh my goodness. Did I somehow just lose you? They shall call upon His name. Amen? A little better. Paul says if people are to call, they must first believe. And now we take another step back. What must they do in order to believe? Now Paul talks about hearing. Next sentence or next question. And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? So if someone needs to believe to call upon His name, then they must hear about Him in order to believe in Him and then to call upon His name. You see what Paul's doing here? They must hear about Him. They must hear Him. 
in order to believe, they must hear. Paul's going to tell us in the next couple of verses that faith, that believing, it comes by hearing. And hearing the Word of God. You know, there's kind of an example in the Old Testament, very interesting, I think we can apply. Today, faith, true faith is not about what we see. It's not about how we feel. It begins with what we hear and believing with what we hear. And in the Old Testament, do you remember the story of Jacob and Esau? God promised a blessing upon Jacob, not his older brother Esau. But Isaac, the father, was just determined to pass on that blessing to Esau, to go against God's will. And so as Isaac got older, he couldn't see anymore. And so he called out for Esau, go and hunt. You're a great hunter. Go catch something. Make me some of that great stew that you know how to make, and then I'm going to be ready to give you that great blessing. And so Esau leaves the house and goes hunting. Meanwhile, Isaac's wife, Rebekah, comes to the other son, Jacob, and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put some animal skins on your hands because your brother's a very hairy man. And we're also going to put his clothing on you because the smell of your brother, your father knows exactly what that smells like. We've got to put his coat on you. You're going to smell like him. You're going to feel like him. And you're going to make some stew. And I'm going to actually make it for you because I know how Esau does it. It's going to taste like Esau, smell like Esau. It's going to feel like Esau. And then go in there and let him bless you instead of your brother. So Isaac, I'm sorry, Jacob does all these things and he goes into Isaac and Isaac says, who is it? And Jacob says, it's, it's, it's me, your son Esau. And Isaac knew what he was hearing. He knew this wasn't the voice of Esau. This was the voice of Jacob. He knew what God had said about this blessing. He ignored that. He hears his son's voice now, Jacob, and somehow he ignores that. And instead, he feels him, smells him, and then tastes his soup, and he says, this has got to be Esau. I know what I hear, but wow, I know what I feel. I know what I'm, what I'm tasting. I, I know what, what, what I'm experiencing right now, so this must be right. And he gave the blessing to the wrong son. Isaac was deceived because he refused to listen to what he was hearing. You know, today in the world, it's all about believing in what you see. It's all about feeling and going with your emotions. That's not God's design for the gospel. God says, by faith, we hear. We hear and then we believe. Now, what does that have to do with church today? Well, when you come to church, one of the things that we have talked about is lights. How do we set up the lights? Because we don't want it to be too bright for you. We don't want it to be too dark for you. Because I know all of you are taking notes right now. <laughs> and you've got to be able to see all that writing that you're doing. Right, kid? Yeah. And so we want to make sure that the lighting is comfortable. Not too bright, not too dark, but comfortable. And so that's what we try to do every Sunday. But faith doesn't come by seeing. And so we also talk about your comfort what that chair feels like to the touch. It's got a cushion on it. It's got a cushion on the back. They're old chairs. Some of them are quite dirty. 
but hopefully you feel comfortable right now. And I'm telling you, I've been in churches in America where we have pews. It's, it's what a bench is called in the church sanctuary with no cushion at all. It's just wood. It's the most uncomfortable thing. And if the preacher is long-winded like I am, going on and on, it gets really uncomfortable to sit there. When my father decided to build a new church, one of the first things he took care of, cushioned pews. Oh, so much better. And we care about your comfort, but faith doesn't come by touch. And so, what about taste? Today, after church is over, when we dismiss you, you can go to the fifth floor now, amen, fellowship with each other, and have some lunch. And we always think about what to have for lunch. We want it to be good, tasteful. We want you to enjoy it. And if possible, take some home if there's extra. We care about those things. But faith doesn't come by, ta by taste. Well, what do we have left? Smell. I'll let you in on a little secret, maybe a little confession. Every time I come here to church and I find one of those ozone machines, I turn them around and I shut them off because I can't stand the smell that those things produce. To me, it smells like a, a gas tank, like fuel. And sometimes it gives me a headache. And I think if it bothers me that much, what about those who are sitting around me? So I, I shut that off. I care about how things smell in the sanctuary. And I hope the person sitting next to you doesn't smell too much. But again, faith does not come by smelling. So what do we have left? All we have left is speaking the Word of God. We tell you what God says. We show you what God says about Himself. We show you what God says about being saved, about mercy, about sins, about everlasting life. Because that, my friends, is where faith comes from. All these things, they're a little bit important, but the most important thing today, we must speak the Word of God. Because when we speak it, and you hear it, really hear it, that's where faith begins, and encouragement and comfort and conviction. Amen. We will always give voice to the Word of God, that you will hear it and believe. I've witnessed many people who have believed after the very first time they hear about Jesus. Sometimes it's young people who come from many different walks of life, and the moment they hear about Jesus and what He's done and what He offers, immediately it's, can I receive Jesus? I want to follow Him. It's wonderful. And yet there are others who will hear and don't believe for some time. Until difficult times come, and then they're calling on the name of the Lord. And even still, there are some who hear, and they'll live their whole life doing nothing about it until the day comes they're on a hospital bed moments away from dying and then at the end of life they turn to the Lord Jesus in faith faith comes by hearing Do you know a person can hear a message without believing but you can't believe a message without first hearing about it why did you come today why are you here are you here for the lights and the music and the food afterward? I hope not. I hope you're here saying to yourself, God, I want to hear you today. I want to know what you say today. And I will listen. I will follow and obey. 
This is what we are about right here. And it's not just the Word of God, I believe. I also believe that as I am preaching right now, and you hear me, of course, yes, and you're hearing me preach the Word of God and and expound on what Paul is saying, but while I'm doing this, you know the miracle of it all? The Holy Spirit is walking among all of you right now. He's the one that's speaking into your heart. Do you hear? Do you believe? What are you going to do about it? What will you do about it? And I love that about the Holy Spirit. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the Word of God and hearing when the Spirit is speaking to you. Next, if they're going to hear about it, there must be some preaching. He says, and how shall they hear without a preacher? Don't you love preachers? Aren't they great? Aren't they some of your most favorite people in the world? Do you know that a preacher is not that guy who's balding, who wears a suit on a Sunday and talks at you and talks to you on a Sunday morning service? Yeah, he's a preacher. You know who else is a preacher? Any one of you who is willing to tell somebody else about Jesus. Preaching means to be a herald, to give the good news, to give the message, to tell someone about Jesus. When you do that, you become a preacher. And you don't even need a suit. You don't even have to grow a beard. You can just talk about the Lord. You become a preacher. How will they hear, Paul says, without a preacher? Do you know God... As important as all of this is, there's no more important decision in a person's life. Yes, it's important. Where do I go to school? Who do I marry? How do I raise my kids? Where, where am I going to go at this point in my life? What is it that I'm working for here? All those things are important, absolutely. The most important decision is all about Jesus Christ. It's all about surrendering your life to Him. And God has placed that most serious of all decisions into the hands of His angels? Nope. In your hands. Yes, you. Your hands. And you might say, well, I don't think God can use me. You're the perfect person then. God loves using the people that don't think they can be used by God. If you say, but I'm not talented enough for that. Perfect. God says, I love people who have no talent, no skill. I love using them. We are all called into this purpose. He calls us His people. You know that story when Jesus was about to feed, well, the Bible says 5,000 men, but it was actually thousands and thousands of people. It was just 5,000 men, not including the women and the children. Do you remember how Jesus fed all those people? Well, he could have taken that little bit of fish and bread and then just did that, and everybody's got a full course meal in front of them. He could have done that. He could have taken that fish and threw one out, and it becomes a million fishes falling all over the ground. He could have taken his basket, walked down the hill, and just visited every person and fed them himself. That's not what he did. You know what he did instead? He took those fragments, he blessed them, and he gave them to his disciples. Those men, those fishermen, those nobodies, those Peters who often said what he shouldn't be saying, those Thomases who are often doubting the Word of God, 
He took those ordinary men, put it into their hands, and said, now go and distribute. And as they went, everybody was fed. And when I think of that story, you know, that's what Jesus does with us. We have received this good news from Jesus so that we will now take it and share it with others. That's how Paul even puts it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, what I have received, I now deliver to you. Jesus died for you. He was buried and he was raised again to new life. This is what we receive from Jesus. He puts it into your hands to go and to share that message. And you might say, well, what is it that I should say? How do I even start a conversation like that? Let me give you a few ideas from Scripture. There was a demon-possessed man filled with thousands of demons. Jesus healed him, saved him. The man wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, instead, go back to your family, to your home, to your friends, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. That's it. Tell them what great things the Lord has done. And so the Bible says the man went back to where he was from and told them what great things the Lord did for him. Do you know what the end result of all that was? Matthew tells us a story that when Jesus went back to that region, multitudes of people came with all the sick and the blind and the deaf, and they all came to seek the touch in the hands of Jesus Christ. How? Because one man said, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Do you have that kind of story? Of course you do. Go tell somebody about it. Do you know what else you can do? You can ask a question. In Ecclesiastes, it says that God has put it into every person's heart to know what eternity is. In other words, every person in the world, I don't care what they tell you, if they tell you, I believe that when we die, we're just done, they're lying and they know that they are. They know that there's an eternity beyond this. They may not know where it is or how to get there, but they know that death is just the beginning of something called eternity. And so I always like to ask the question, if you die today, where do you go for eternity? And you'd be surprised on how people answer that question. You can ask that kind of question. Or you can go with a simple verse in your heart, John 3.16, and explain to someone that God has so loved the world, including you, my friend, that He gave His only begotten Son. If you believe in Him, then you will not perish for eternity. He promises you life for eternity. Just by explaining a verse like that can bring great faith into a person's life. Do you know why? Because this is what I'm excited about. Do you know why? It's not you that convinces. It's not you that came up with a clever way to reach somebody. It's the Spirit of God working through you, ordinary people, that if you will just by faith tell somebody about the Lord, it's the power of the Spirit working through you. Do you remember what Paul says about the Gospel in Romans 1? It is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It's not in your hands. The power is not in you. It's in the Holy Spirit who convicts and draws people to Jesus Christ. How will they call if they don't first believe? How will they believe in the one they've never heard? How can they hear without a preacher and last 
We talk about the sending. How shall they preach unless they are sent? Let me read that verse. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things in order for them to preach and to herald and to tell people they must be sent. And do you know that we are sent in a general way? We can also be sent in a very personal way as well. But we are sent to preach what Paul calls the gospel of peace. To have peace with God. Do you know how many people right now, they want peace in their life and they don't know how to find it? They don't know how to find it. They don't have it because they don't know what it means to have peace with God. If you don't have peace with God, no matter how much you lie to yourself, you will never enjoy peace in life without that. So we are sent as messengers proclaiming you can have peace with God. And as we do this, the Lord is the one who sends us. It can be in a very personal way. I can tell you the moment where I was, what was happening, what I was praying, how I felt the Lord speak to me, what I saw. I can tell you the exact moments where I knew that God was calling me into the ministry. And I knew that that ministry would one day take me to somewhere else in the world. I knew about those things about 25 years ago. And that's how God worked it out. I can tell you where I was, what was happening, how I was praying. I can tell you about the shores of Bali where I was when God spoke into my life and said, I'm sending you to Indonesia. That happened about 22 years ago. 23 years ago. It was a very personal moment and a very specific direction to send me. Now you're sitting here and you might say, well, I didn't hear God say that to me. I haven't had God send me to someone specific or somewhere. He hasn't given me those details. You know what God has given you? Every single one of you? It's called the Great Commission. Let me read you the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 28. Before he ascends back into heaven, he says this to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Matthew ends it with, Amen. Jesus says, I am Lord. Therefore, go. Go and tell the world about me. Baptize them. Teach them. Make disciples out of every nation, every tribe, every people. And He promises, I'm with you always. You know, He's not just talking to the disciples here. Because to be present always, even to the end of the age, I believe he's talking about from Pentecost until the day of the Lord when we go in the name of Jesus and spread his message, his gospel. He promises, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you wherever you go. Whenever it is, I'm always there with you. Jesus sends us. 
Now let me just close with this. When I explained to people about how I felt the Lord send me to Indonesia, that's what I say, but that's honestly not how I felt. I didn't feel like the Lord was standing next to me and saying, go to Indonesia. I send you to Indonesia. Do you know what it felt like in my heart? It felt like the Lord was in Indonesia and he was saying, come to Indonesia. Come to Indonesia. And do you know what that spoke into my heart? To me, it meant that the Lord was already here before I came. And the Lord was already moving among people's hearts. You know, there are some people here that I have witnessed to who live right next door to a Christian and never heard the gospel before. Why is it that God would choose somebody from Delaware, United States, to come all the way around the world to meet that person and teach them about the gospel? I don't know. That's just what he did. But that's what God does. He calls us. And if he calls us, believe me, he's preparing people's hearts to hear what you're going to say. Before I ever came here, he was already walking among you, working in you. Amen? And he still walks today. Until the end of this age, from Pentecost to the day of the Lord, we go and we herald this message of God. Jesus sends us. We are preachers of the good news. And for all who will hear it and believe it, when they call on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Brothers and sisters, there's a whole world that Jesus died for. It's time that we go and tell them. Amen? Amen? Amen. Singers and musicians, would you come?